Remember a few years ago when Jeffrey Epstein allegedly killed himself in a Manhattan jail cell? And how we never learned a single thing more about a single person involved in his international sex trafficking ring that included many of the most famous and powerful people on earth? Well, according to Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin, the reason we never learned anything more is because no one cares. Chairman Durbin, can I ask you a quick question? Um, Why won't you subpoena Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs? So who are you? Hillary Vaughn with Fox. With Fox, of course. Uh, I don't know anything about his flight logs. But why won't you subpoena them? Why don't you want to know? I don't know the issue. I know who Epstein was, but I certainly don't know anything about the issue. Well, he was charged with sex trafficking, so why don't you want to know who was utilizing his private plane? Never been raised by anyone. Senator Blackburn has wanted to subpoena them, and there hasn't been a vote in your committee. said a word to me. Not a word. But aren't you curious, like, what high-profile or powerful people might be closeted predators and pedophiles? Doesn't that concern you? Of course. So why won't you subpoena them if you can? It's the first time anyone has raised it. Thank you, Fox. So do you, are you curious about it? Will you do it? Why haven't we seen the flight log? No one's ever asked for it. That's the first I'm ever hearing of it. Who, no one has even raised the topic, except, of course, for lots of people, as Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn quickly reminded him. I understand you made some statements about the Jeffrey Epstein flight logs. I had not spoken to you one time about this issue. Since we're in the business of issuing subpoenas now, here are a few more that I've filed a subpoena to Jeffrey Epstein's estate to provide the flight logs for his private plane. Given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and sexual abuse surrounding Mr. Epstein. Now, I bet there are some more examples. Even that one, pretty devastating. And I think Dick Durbin is right, in a way. There are a lot of people who do not want to see the Epstein flight log. Namely, the people who are on it. And I'm not even accusing Tricky Dick Durbin of having flown on the Lolita Express. I have no reason to think that he did. But we know for a fact that some of his friends did. Most people think DC elites are stonewalling the release of the Epstein flight log because they're on it. And perhaps in some cases, that's part of the reluctance. I think the bigger reason, though, for the delay is that the Epstein sex ring was obviously a massive intelligence operation. First of all, all of his properties had cameras all over the place, including in the rooms where the weird stuff went on. The guy had logs and logs of this kind of material. Epstein's madam, his business partner who procured the girls, is the daughter of Robert Maxwell, a known spy for Mossad, six serving and former leaders of which attended his funeral. And it wasn't just Israel that Robert Maxwell spied for. The British Foreign Office suspected him of working for the KGB and of being a double or even a triple agent, a justified suspicion since Maxwell also spied for British intelligence, MI6. But forget about Robert Maxwell for a second. We also have it on good authority that Jeffrey Epstein himself was connected to American intelligence. Alex Acosta, President Trump's labor secretary, famously reportedly testified that when he was U.S. attorney prosecuting Jeffrey Epstein the first time, he was told to lay off because Epstein, quote, belonged to intelligence. The fact that prominent Americans were Epstein's customers is scandalous enough. But that is nothing 
compared with the fact that political elites seem to have been involved on the business side of things, too. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Subscribe today with code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to claim your free limited stock Christmas ham before it sells out. Daily Wire's, Daily Wire's, Daily Show's fill-in host, the guy who took over from Trevor Noah, who took over from Jon Stewart, has just made some waves by begging Joe Biden not to run for president again. We will get to that in just a moment. First, though, speaking of deep state spying, Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, was just asked by Republican Senator Josh Hawley to give some account of what we now know to be a a pretty broad and significant uh, operation of the FBI to spy on Catholics. This came out because there was a leaked memo that showed that the Biden DOJ and FBI were spying on traditional Catholic parishes. And initially the FBI denied this and said, no, no, it was a mistake. We had no idea. We're disgusted. It was a one-off. It's been taken out of the FBI database. But then it turns out there were other field offices involved as well. This was obviously a a broad operation. So Hawley asks Christopher Ray about this. Here's Ray's non-answer. How many other parishes around the country have priests or choir directors been approached? By the way, are, are Catholic choirs now, are, are, they, are they breeding grounds for domestic terrorism? Is this, is this your latest theory? How many other parishes have FBI agents approached priests and choir directors to ask about parishioners? Look, Senator, we do not and will not conduct investigations based on anybody's exercise of their constitutionally You have religion. done so, and your memo explicitly sure. asks for it. Those your memo labels traditional Catholics as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in need of investigation. You have a list of churches, a list in the memo. You've repeatedly said, we don't target churches, we don't list churches. They're listed in the memo. So how many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've said... Know the answer to that question. (laughs) No, I don't know the answer to that question. (laughs) No, no, I don't. The the original answer he knew was, no, we've never done this. It's never happened. How dare you suggest, Senator Hawley, that we would ever do this? Hawley says, it's in your own words. How we, You think we would target parishes? I have the list of the parishes you were targeting. Oh, oh, you got that? You got that memo? Huh? Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know. Plead the fifth. <laughs> uh, beats me. Obviously, it was extensive, this operation. And... Senator Hawley here is doing an excellent job in his grilling of Ray of expressing the outrage that a lot of Americans feel. And I am outraged, but I'm not surprised in the least. Of course, Americans, of course, of, of course the American regime is going to protect liberalism. Liberalism is the, the dominating force now in recent decades of the American regime. And of course, liberals are going to view Christians as enemies of that regime, rightly so. The two don't really go together all that well. Liberalism, certainly certainly traditional Christianity or conservative Christianity or whatever modifiers 
these libs want to throw onto the faith that has animated our whole civilization, certainly that is opposed to liberalism. And as, as our Lord reminds us, a man cannot serve two masters. So in as much as liberalism and Christianity conflict, in as much as they make different claims about the good and the true and the beautiful and how we ought to behave and what society ought to look like, in as much as they disagree, and they disagree pretty significantly, compare, oh, I don't know, uh, the streets of San Francisco today and the laws that govern the streets of San Francisco with, say, the laws of Christendom at its height. They're pretty different. Well, in as much as they conflict, the political establishment is going to pick liberalism and it's going to view Christianity as the enemy, rightly so. Christianity is an enemy of modern, decadent, degenerate liberalism. It's just a fact. Now, people in Hollywood are trying to explore this, this theme as well. Rob Reiner, who, meathead, you know, from All in the Family, uh, Reiner is making a documentary on Christian nationalism. And Reiner is an atheist and he's a big lib and there's no doubt about that. He has said nice things about Christianity in the past, in fairness. He's said that he's not a Christian, but he tries to live like a Christian. He has said that, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself is as good a, a maxim as he's ever heard. So he's attracted to uh, some kind of uh, single aspect of Christianity, but he doesn't, even though he's attracted to that, it's an important rule, he, he does not He's not sufficiently attracted to embrace the whole faith. In fact, he seems fairly opposed to the faith, uh, and he's certainly opposed to the faith in forming American politics. And that wouldn't be a big story. Uh, Libs are going to make anti-Christian movies. They do it all the time. The bigger part of the story is that major evangelical leaders, major Christian leaders at some point or another, have actually joined Rob Reiner in attacking Christian nationalism. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, We obviously primarily want to store up our treasures in heaven, but when you want to supply your own material needs on earth for the duration of your life, you'll you'll probably want some resources for that, which is why you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. Take advantage of Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year now through December 22nd. For every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they will send you a one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. That's a pretty good deal. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-A-S, to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's precious metal specialists help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. They will send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 to claim your eligibility. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, now is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Claim your eligibility for free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. That is Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Rob Reiner going after Christian nationalism. America and Christianity are like baseball and apple pie, and we celebrate them together. I was 16, 17 years old when I became a Christian. I'm an evangelical minister. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a Christian nationalist. I have nothing to be ashamed of because that's what most Americans are. Is Christian nationalism Christian? Um, no, it isn't. 
we should be blazing forth as a countercultural example. And instead, we're leading the charge of malice and division. Christian nationalism uses Christianity as a means to an end, that end being some form of authoritarianism. Being a Christian is about the values of inclusion. Christian nationalism is certainly not based on the values of the gospel. This is not a movement about Christian values. This is about Christian power. Okay. I don't recognize anyone in this movie other than David French, who is exactly the sort of person I would expect to be in this movie. <laughs> David French, a former writer for National Review, a libertarian or neoconservative-minded uh, right-winger, but he wrote for he wrote for conservative publications and he was a member of conservative organizations and then Trump, I guess, radicalized him, and now he's pretty clearly on the left. He was writing for The Atlantic for a while. Now I think he's writing for The New York Times. And his raison d'etre appears to be to attack from the, from the authority of an American evangelical, a, a conservative, but not that kind of conservative, you know, a court jester in the kingdom of liberalism, from his, his uh, self-styled identity as a conservative Christian, he attacks conservatives and he attacks Christians. Now, the reason I don't know any of the other people in here, and the only reason I know David French is because he ran in conservative circles for some time, is it, this is all Protestants who are in this movie. There are no Catholics. And it's no knock on Protestants, certainly no knock on evangelicals. Many of my best friends are evangelicals and Protestants, but I'm, I'm not, I'm a Catholic. And so I'm just not as familiar with these leaders of the evangelical movement. So why is that? Why is it that it's evangelicals in this movie? Well, it's, it, it's no knock on evangelicals exactly. It's more to do with Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is a fundamentally Protestant movement. Now, in practice, I support Christian nationalism. I, and in practice, I guess David French and those, those evangelicals in this movie oppose Christian nationalism. The reason that I support Christian nationalism practically is because we have a nation. I respect our nation. I'm a patriot. Love my country. It's an extension of filial piety. And the soul of our nation is Christian. It was founded explicitly as a Christian nation in 1620 by the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock who sailed here on the Mayflower, which is the name of an excellent brand of cigars. And the uh, leaders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony called this uh, a model of Christian charity, a shining city on a hill. Our founding fathers spoke in broadly Christian terms. John Adams said that our morality in America would have to be a Christian morality. John Jay said exactly the same thing. George Washington gave thanks to God. Abraham Lincoln uh, n never wrote or spoke without in some way channeling the King James Bible. We've got in God we trust on our money. It's a Christian country. Most people are Christian. It's just a Christian country. There's no other way to put it. So if we're a nation and we're going to be Christian, well, then I guess that's Christian nationalism, right? But the liberals don't like that because the liberals don't like Christianity and they don't like nation states. <laughs> what they want is liberal globalism. Now, the reason I say Christian nationalism is fundamentally Protestant is because nationalism is fundamentally Protestant. Nationalism is a product of the Westphalian system, the Treaty of Augsburg and the Peace of Westphalia, which put an end to the religious wars, which came about as a result of the cracking up of the unity of Christendom. So... Before all of that happened, Europe, Christendom broadly, was united in one faith with lots of different political entities, but there was a connection between the unified faith and all of the different political entities, notably the Holy Roman Empire, 
but even other little political entities. And therefore, the civilization had a unity. We all had the same faith. And, and that faith was expressed visibly in political life because our faith is an incarnational faith because our Lord is incarnate. He's not just floating in the sky. He enters into history in time and space. He picks specific apostles. He gives them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, go forth and make disciples of all nations. He says, go feed my sheep. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, Simon Peter. You're now Peter, which means rock. He says these things, and then there's a visible expression. And the apostles go off to all the corners of the world. And uh, St. Thomas makes it all the way to India. And Peter and Paul go to Rome. And it, it's a you, what separates Christianity from other religious traditions is that you can trace it through journalism. You can, you can trace it not just through philosophy or abstract theology, but with real people in real time and space. There's, a, there's a, an apostolic succession going all the way back to our Lord. Which means that if you are Christian, you must believe that the faith has some kind of physical expression and a community expression. Unfortunately, though, certain branches of branches of sects of branches of modern Christianity have ignored all of that, and they want to just abstract everything about the faith, and they want to make religion something that you just do in your own little head, maybe quietly at night in your room, but that has no visible expression anywhere. But we can't do that. Christianity spreads as a community, and we because we're social creatures, because we're the political animal, even the very ability to pray will expand or diminish based on political circumstances. Do we live in a culture that's conducive to prayer, that's conducive to the flourishing of the religion or not? Don't forget, Christianity is not a, it's not a polytheistic religion, okay? Our God is a jealous God and we'll have no other gods before him. So when you have People here are saying, look, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. I love Christianity and everything. But Christian nationalism is not. It's not Christian at all. It's opposed to Christianity. It's authoritarian. What does that mean? It, it certainly makes demands of you. It certainly gives a shape to public life. I, don't, I wouldn't call that authoritarian, but it, yeah, it's, it's not liberal, I guess. Yeah, that's true. It's about power. Yeah, well, there, yeah, there is. I mean, we, we think that Jesus Christ is king of the universe. Yeah, there's power there. We, yes, there's authority. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That implies authority. Yeah. But it's not liberal. You're, well, there it is. You've hit the nail on the head. And so this is the question for the people in Rob Reiner's movie. This is the question for David French. Are you first a Christian or are you first a liberal? Which is it? Many are going to want to say, well, I'm both. Oh, okay. You can serve two gods? You can serve two masters? You got to pick one. <laughs> which, you which is it? And there are many people. Look, I, I don't mean to only single out the evangelical Protestants. There are many Catholics who think in this way too, though it's not a traditionally Catholic way of thinking, which means that it, it, the FBI is not going to investigate this way of thinking. But, but these, these ideas, in as much as they conflict, are going to require that we choose one or the other. Which is it? Which is it, folks? Are we in a Christian nation or are we in a liberal, globalist, hodgepodge of just vague nothingness? For me, if I got to pick one, just a practical reality, I'll choose the former. Now, 
Speaking of the soul, you know, they say the eyes are the window to the soul, and they say the windows are the eyes to your home, which is why you got to check out Renewal by Anderson. Right now, text Knowles to 200-300. For most homeowners, window replacement is not something they want to do, but rather something they have to do. Have you put off replacing the windows in your home because it's too expensive? Then I've got great news. You can now get a free in-home window consultation and a free quote from Renewal by Anderson. Renewal by Anderson's signature service is committed to giving you the best customer experience possible, supported by the best people in the industry. Right now, Renewal by Anderson is offering a free in-home or virtual consultation on durable quality, affordable windows or patio doors for $0 down, zero payments and zero interest for one year. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 200-300 for your free consultation and save $375 off every window and $750 off every door. These savings will not last long, so be sure to check it out. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 200-300. I have gotten unsolicited emails. There was a carpenter who wrote to me and said, Michael, I heard you do a read for Renewal by Anderson. Whenever I work on a home with windows by Renewal by Anderson, it's just superior quality. Text Knowles to 200-300. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at hexplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. Lady Ballers, the most triggering comedy of the year, is still one of the most streamed movies in America. It has been a massive success, and we could not have done it without the support of all our members. Now, with over 5,000 raving reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it has earned a 91% audience score. Comedy has been absolutely dead in the past 10 years. It is as though Hollywood forgot how to make jokes or be funny, but The Daily Wire has resurrected comedy with Lady Ballers. We've also dropped the official Lady Ballers soundtrack, available now on Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, and wherever you stream music. If you are not a Daily Wire Plus member, plans start at $14.99 a month. You will get access to Lady Ballers and all the rest of Daily Wire Plus's exclusive member content. Do not wait. Sign up today at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Speaking of... The FBI and DC investigating things. An FBI agent was just uh, carjacked. An FBI agent was carjacked in Washington, DC, according to authorities. This is another high profile incident in DC in which a rampant crime has affected not only the ordinary citizens, but also <laughs> federal officials and their families. You remember a few weeks ago, the president's granddaughter uh, was carjacked and Secret Service was with her. And they actually ended up firing on the suspect, and he still got away. And now you've got an FBI agent. There's some good news here. The good news that comes out of stories like this is that, contrary to what many conservatives fear, the liberal establishment is not omnipotent. Far from it. They're not. They're not there. They can't just exercise total power over you. They don't. There aren't five people who secretly control the entire world. They... They can't even stop their own agents from getting carjacked. They can't even stop the president's granddaughter from getting carjacked, okay? And they can't even shoot the guy when he he starts to do it. They're not omnipotent. That's That's the good side. The bad side of this is things are spiraling out of control. The bad side to this is they can't even stop their own guys from getting carjacked, which means that chaos is going to abound. And chaos abounding is not good for anyone. That is very bad news. It's true that'll harm our opponents and enemies, but it's going to harm us too. And things can spiral out of control very, very quickly as our elites are seeing, which is why some Democrats actually are beginning to to change their rhetoric. You want to talk about nationalism. John Fetterman, 
who is the Pennsylvania senator who doesn't want to wear a suit and he's suffered a stroke and he's had all sorts of brain problems and went into rehab or some kind of rehabilitation facility to try to work on his uh, cognitive abilities. Well, John Fetterman is a lot smarter than he might seem because John Fetterman has just come out and said, quote, I hope Democrats can understand that it isn't xenophobic to be concerned about the border. This is what he told Politico. It is a reasonable conversation. Democrats should engage. This is the same John Fetterman who hired George Santos through Cameo, which is an app that allows you to get famous people or slightly famous people to give you personalized messages for hundreds of dollars. So now disgraced and exiled Republican Congressman George Santos made this Cameo video, presumably secretly for John Fetterman. And the video was attacking Fetterman's Senate colleague, Democrat Bob Menendez. Hey, Bobby, uh, look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir, and don't get bogged down by all the haters out there. Stay strong. Merry Christmas. Hilarious. Really, really great. I'm sure Santos had no idea what he was doing here. Fetterman or or whoever's running Fetterman's communications, really brilliant troll of Menendez. But it, it makes you ask, why is John Fetterman turning on his Senate colleague, Bob Menendez, the, another Democrat? To me, it's simple enough. The reason the Democrats want Menendez out is because every day that that guy remains in office, it becomes hard, harder and harder for the Democrat who will replace him to actually win. The, the corruption is going to be exposed for so much longer to the voters that it's going to harm all the Democrats, maybe even threaten their majority. So it's, it's not that the Democrats here have suddenly found integrity. It's that they realize it's hurting their own political interest to let this guy stay in office. Menendez doesn't want to go anywhere. So John Fetterman comes out and he starts trolling him really, really hard, harder than any Democrat in the Senate. He's made other statements too. And then to come out and say, hey, Border security should not be a partisan issue. We should all want border security. What Fetterman realizes is something that the Democrats broadly have forgotten, which is that the loss of working class credibility is absolutely devastating. It is deadly to the Democrat political project. Devastating. And Fetterman knows this because Pennsylvania is a Rust Belt state, and so the Democrats there tend to be a little bit more blue-collar than they are in California or New York. Fetterman's saying, out of his own political interest, I'm sure, hey, if we truly become the party of limousine-riding, latte-sipping, private-jet-taking, climate-change, John Kerry, yacht-going, frou-frou libs, then we're going to lose. or not, we're not, I'm going to lose in Pennsylvania. So he comes out and he starts to adopt these more basic meat and potatoes kind of issues. Pretty smart. But luckily for us, Fetterman seems to be the only Democrat who's getting the message, at least on the border issue. A lot of Democrats are getting the message when it comes to Joe Biden's unpopularity, including the fill-in host for The Daily Show. Daily Show, founded by Craig Kilborn. Many of you are not old enough to remember that. Then becomes very popular, at least among uh, DC journalists, and you know makes a big splash under Jon Stewart. Then it's taken over by Trevor Noah, who has never said a funny thing ever once in his life. And they let him keep that show for a while. Eventually he leaves. Now it's just been a cycle of fill-in hosts. This guy is Charlemagne the God, is, is his uh, 
stage name. And he's a radio host. We played clips of him before. He's he's pretty funny. He's obviously a big lib. Here is Charlemagne the God's take on President Biden. So Donald Trump is currently running on a platform of dictatorship, and the only man standing in his way is President Joe Biden. Seen here looking at his own approval ratings. I know he thinks he's got this in the bag, but the polls say otherwise. I want Biden stepping in to beat Trump the way I want him stepping in to defend me at a bar fight. I appreciate you caring, but I don't like our chances. The point is, we don't need Biden to beat Donald Trump, just like we didn't need RBG to stay on the court, okay? Maybe if RBG had retired during the Obama years, we'd still have Roe v. Wade. Maybe. But people said, no, she needs to be here to protect Roe. And now, look, both of them are gone. (laughs) It's true, they're both gone. (laughs) See, the facts are, Biden's not getting any younger. He's not going to get any more popular, and he's not getting a new running mate. So please, Mr. President, give America the ultimate Christmas gift and step aside. You know, this is not the funniest monologue I've ever seen, but compared to years of Trevor Noah, this guy is Norm MacDonald, Bob Hope, and Rodney Dangerfield all rolled up into one. You know, this guy is really, really much funnier than Trevor Noah, and his point is much better. Yeah, Joe Biden is a major liability for the Democrats. I agree. Donald Trump could conceivably beat Joe Biden if the libs don't rig it. I totally agree. Maybe even if the libs do rig it. Uh, It's just Biden's approval ratings are so low and Trump seems to be doing pretty well head to head. All that said, though, I bet that Biden is still the nominee. I'm not sure about that. I know there are a lot of Democrats and Republicans who are saying, nah, he's at the last minute, he's going to step aside. Nah, he's not. He can't run again. He's too old. He's too senile. It's not going to happen. I'm not betting the farm, but I would bet a small amount of money. Joe Biden will be the Democrat nominee for president. Barring some, you know, major health incident. I just don't think this guy is going to step aside voluntarily. I think Joe Biden has wanted to be the president since he was in the womb. I think it would be embarrassing to leave after one term. It would be a sign of failure. And I don't think he wants to do it. And he doesn't like Kamala Harris. He hates her. Kamala Harris launched her campaign calling Joe Biden a racist. Joe Biden has no love for Kamala Harris. He's not going to do it for Pete Buttigieg. Give me a break. The the silly mayor of South Bend. Uh-uh. You don't, you don't get to go on maternity leave when you're the president of the United States. He's not doing that. He's not. Maybe Gavin Newsom. He's the most in the Biden mold. But I don't think Biden cares about anybody, really. I think Biden cares about Biden. And furthermore, even from the perspective of the Democratic Party, it just looks bad to lose your nominee. Even if Biden is polling in in pretty bad numbers right now, it's a sign of weakness. This is why you always hear this. uh, When when a president is running for re-election, they say, will he change his running mate? Oh, that running mate's not that popular. Kamala Harris is, first of all, presidents often benefit if they have a slightly weak running mate because it's an argument against impeachment or assassination. But two, if you change things up, you are admitting that you have failed. And right now the Democrats are still straight facing, Biden, he's achieved so much, so much. Oh, things have never been better. A gallon of milk costs $300 now, but things have never, we've got World War III breaking out in Eastern Europe and in the Middle East, but no, things are just, thank goodness it's not like it was under Trump when the economy was great and we had world peace. Yeah, no, thank goodness now everything's broken, but they're straight facing it. And if they're going to straight face it, then they got to keep the nominee. 
To lose the nominee is to admit that the guy failed, that he was too old, he was too weak, too incompetent, never underestimate Joe's ability to F things up, to quote the former Democrat president. So my money, a modest amount of money, he's still the nominee. Now, speaking of the presidential nominees, a poll has just come out from three groups. You know, they always say it's like the ABC Harvard poll or whatever. Well, this is the 538 Washington Post Ipsos poll. So goodness gracious, that's three groups. And they say that Ron DeSantis won the fourth Republican debate. And I basically agree with that. He won in the sense that he was the most steady, the most presidential. Sure. Okay. I I think that the debate was the best debate by far. I think Megyn Kelly by far was the best moderator we've seen at any of these debates, really at any debate in recent years. But so what? So what? Ron DeSantis won the debate. Cool. How are the poll numbers moving? Uh, Not at all. Why? Sometimes winning a debate helps. The problem is these debates were not actually presidential debates because the guy who was leading the pack by 40 or 50 points even didn't show up. So it was a fun little exercise. It was a simulacrum of a presidential debate. It was a distant, faint echo of a president. But it, even if you hate Trump and you like DeSantis or Vivek or Haley or Chris Christie, if you're the one guy out there, me, who just loves the croissants and is waiting for the croissants to just totally, t- then even still, I think you have to admit, it just doesn't matter. That and a buck fifty will get you a cup of coffee. Here's some further proof of that. You don't even need to just look at the polls. The political powers that be, on the conservative side, especially actually on the establishment and more centrist side, the fence-sitting side. They're, they, they hate Donald Trump in the establishment. They hate his guts. They've tried to destroy him for seven, eight years. But, but the establishment will survive, okay? The, the, they are like cockroaches. They will, they will not go quietly. They will not go down for valor or integrity. They will survive, and they are seeing the writing on the wall. So the political establishment at least this slightly more conservative part of the political establishment. Uh, McCarthy, former Speaker of the House, slightly more conservative than the previous Speakers of the House, than the previous uh, slimy establishment in D.C. McCarthy just endorsed Trump. Will Donald Trump be the nominee? Yes. And the Republican Party? Yes. And if Biden stays as the nominee for the Democrats, I believe Donald Trump will win. I believe the Republicans will gain more seats in the House and the Republicans will win the Senate. Can he count on your support? Yes. That's an endorsement. I will support the president. I will support President Trump. Would you be willing to serve in a Trump cabinet? In the right position. Look, if, I, if I'm the best person for the job, yes. Look, I've I worked with President Trump on a lot of policies. I, we work together to win the majority. But we also have a relationship where we're very honest with one another. This is the GOP establishment coming to terms with reality. Now, Kevin McCarthy has supported Trump in the past, and Trump has supported McCarthy in the past. And I've said it before, this is always my caveat, I know McCarthy's very unpopular now. By establishment standards, he's about as good as they get. Damning with faint praise, perhaps, but still, McCarthy endorsing here so openly is a sign of the establishment coming to grips with reality. And there's an even clearer sign of that, and it's coming from the GOP presidential field. First, though, I got to tell you about my friends over at the St. Paul Center. 
Right now, go to stpaulcenter.com slash Michael. I recently had my friend, Dr. Scott Hahn, on the show. He is the founder of the St. Paul Center, which is one of the fastest-growing Catholic organizations in the world. The St. Paul Center's mission is to give you the tools you need to know to love Scripture better, to become more confident in your faith, and most importantly, to grow closer to Christ himself. In order to achieve this, the St. Paul Center founded a new digital learning platform called Emmaus Academy. Emmaus Academy features over 20 video courses, book studies, and original series giving you the ability to learn from world-class theologians such as Dr. Scott Hahn and Dr. John Bergsma as if you were right there with them in the classroom. I absolutely love their video studies. I love everything that they put out. Their 12-session study by Dr. Hahn is incredible. He traces the meaning of holiness from its origins in Scripture to its appearance in our own lives today. This study will help you experience the transformative power of God's holiness. Start learning more about church history, how to interpret the Bible, the basics of Christian prayer, and more. Go to stpaulcenter.com slash Michael, and you can begin exploring Emmaus Academy. Memberships are only 25 bucks per month, but you can sign up today for a two-week free trial. Imagine what could be possible if we were all to fortify ourselves with a deeper understanding of Scripture and faith. Do not miss this opportunity to sign up today to begin your journey with Emmaus Academy. My favorite comment on Friday is from Jacob Lehman, who says, I fell for the 2006 Time Person of the Year joke. What joke? It's one of my most cherished awards that I've ever gotten. Put it right on my CV. There's even clearer evidence that the establishment is coming to terms with the likelihood that Trump is the GOP nominee. That's from within the presidential field. It's Nikki Haley asked if Trump is fit to be president. Now, someone who thinks that he or she is on the brink of destroying Trump as a candidate, taking that nomination away from him, the answer would be, no, no way. Let's get out of here. That guy's a total joker. I'm the one who's fit. Here is Nikki's answer. Ambassador, certainly a big surge in the polls lately. I want to start where the last debate left off, uh, where one question went unanswered as far as is Donald Trump fit to be president? Chris Christie said he's unfit. I want to just put that directly to you in a yes or no. It's not about fitness. I think he's fit to be president. It's should he be president. I don't think he should be president. You know, I thought he was the right president at the right time. I agreed with a lot of his policies. The problem is, you see our country is in disarray, our world is on fire, and you can't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And Donald Trump brings us chaos. It's a good answer from Nikki Haley. Nikki is a very talented politician. That's a hedge, is what that is. In part, Nikki has to give this sort of an answer because she worked for Trump. She was Trump's very public, very prominent UN ambassador. She previously said she wouldn't run for president if Trump ran again. Then she ran for president. But what she said was, yeah, I just don't think he's the right guy at this time. Then she was much harsher on Trump. And now you're seeing back, yeah, of course he's fit. I just don't think he's the ideal candidate right now. That is a hedge. People like to make fun of politicians on the debate stages, the ones that don't seem to be doing very well. If you make it to a presidential debate stage, I don't care if you're Doug Burgum, okay? I don't care if you're Asa Hutchinson. If you make it there, you're a pretty good politician. If you manage to get yourself elected governor of your state, there's a good chance you're a pretty good politician. If you manage to make it to the United States Senate, you're a pretty good politician, okay? And good politicians know how to survive. 
And what you are seeing here and what you're probably going to start seeing from the rest of the, not only GOP field, but even the, the, just the political establishment more broadly, is people are going to start speaking in much more glowing terms about Donald Trump. Even people who have previously attacked him, even people who have endorsed Trump's primary opponents and, and issued invective after invective against Trump. And the reason for that is no strategy thus far has seemed able to take him down. DeSantis is the best governor in America. He's the best governor in my lifetime. Nothing he's done has worked. That's why now you're seeing the big, big establishment money start to switch over to Nikki Haley. That's why you're seeing these, these uh, moderators and these interviewers say, oh, you're surging in the polls. What does surging in the polls mean when, when the leader in the party is at 53, 54% and you're at 10% or 12%? That's not, I guess it's surging from 8 or 9%, but it's just, the gap is just too big. The head start is just too big. The Trump had, because he's been running for president for four years now. He's been running for president for seven years now. So what are you going to do? If you're one of these guys, even if you were the biggest anti-Trumper, you are going to start tempering your attacks. Now, I will happily support whoever can beat Joe Biden. I'm not one of these people who says, I'll only vote for Trump or I'll only vote for DeSantis or I'll only, only vote for Nikki Haley or something. I would happily vote for anyone who could beat Joe Biden. Not because I think all the candidates are perfect, I certainly don't, but because I think Joe Biden is just that bad. There is a rule that has been proposed by the Biden administration to discriminate against Christian couples in adopting children that would effectively bar practicing Christians from adopting children nationwide. This is Biden's HHS, Health and Human Services Department, requiring that foster or adoptive parents support a child's gender transition. So you're saying, if you don't believe in transgenderism, if you don't believe that a boy can become a girl and a girl can become a boy, if you don't believe that the body and the soul are not linked in a hylomorphic union, which is a basic uh, premise of the Christian view of human nature, if if you're a Christian or a conservative Jew or a Muslim or just a normal, sensible, agnostic or atheist relative to that uh, view, you're not allowed to adopt kids. That's our supposedly Catholic president. The caretakers would have to affirm the child's preferred pronouns, their chosen name, and allow the child to dress in a way that reflects that gender identity. (sighs) There's no neutrality here. I've said it many times. I won't belabor the point. We think, we, you and I, the Christians and the, and the conservative Jews and the Muslims and the reasonable atheists and agnostics, we think it's child abuse to chop off a, a kid's genitals. The libs think that it's child abuse not to chop off a kid's genitals. That's their perspective. They really think that the body and soul have nothing to do with each other, that a boy can be born in a girl's body or vice versa, and that it's helpful and therapeutic and conducive to flourishing to lie to them about their, their, I mean, they wouldn't even consider it a lie. They think it's conducive to their flourishing to just chop them up and deny what would appear to be physical reality because they don't recognize that physical reality. And there's a whole host of ancient heresies that feed into that view, none of which they're aware of. But in any case, that's their view. And there can't be uh, an accommodation of both of those views at the same time. I talked earlier about how we're a Christian nation and always have been. A Christian nation 
can accommodate lots of other views. A Christian nation can accommodate Jews, as we have from the beginning, can accommodate Muslims. There weren't that many Muslims here uh, for much of American history, but now there are, and we can accommodate a lot of that. We can accommodate reasonable, reasonably uh, polite agnostics and atheists to some degree. John Locke didn't think we could, but uh, I think we can. A Christian nation can allow for uh, lots of toleration. But it it's going to insist upon certain standards and norms and views of, of human nature, at least, in the public square. It's going to say that you, you, you shouldn't chop off kids' genitals. Okay? The libs are coming in. And in, ironically, in the name of tolerance, in the name of inclusion, they're going to kick all of those people that I just mentioned, they're going to kick all of them and their views out of the public square. And they're not going to tolerate a thing. And I don't think tolerance is even the absolute highest good. I'm in favor of it as a matter of prudence. Uh, I think it's perfectly acceptable. The libs don't. Liberalism often and increasingly expresses itself as a totalitarian system. And if, you're, if you consider yourself a liberal Christian or a liberal Jew or a liberal Muslim, I don't know many liberal Muslims, but there, there are some actually, or a, or a liberal normal person, you're going to have to choose. Those views are going to come into conflict, and only one of them will win. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 